That is the overarching point. Is it helpful to take instruction from Daniel's prayer and Daniel's faith and Daniel's work habits? Absolutely. But ultimately, Daniel is there for us to say, I see Jesus. I see Jesus in Verse 16, then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. You can't miss the parallel here. As he's cast into the den of lions, when Peter wants to describe our enemy, what animal does Peter have come to mind? A roaring lion. You can't miss the connection. Certainly that was this, the story of Daniel was on Peter's mind when he wrote that. So, so here's once again is this Battle between good and evil. Those who are part of the kingdom of heaven are in danger. They're now cast into the den of, into the very den of the lion, the roaring lion. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his own lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. So the king goes back to his chambers. He's so upset he doesn't sleep. He has no diversions. Nobody comes and plays music. No concubines come. He spends the night fasting. So uh, the lions weren't the only ones that didn't eat that night. The king also didn't eat that night. Now verse 19. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. I just have this picture in my mind. PJs, bedroom slippers, hair still all bedhead, running down to the lion's den to find out if Daniel is in pieces or he's been consumed or what. Verse 20, as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, wouldn't you love to know if he paused right there? Wouldn't you love to know if he just sort of sat there for about 30 seconds? Then Daniel said, declared uh, to the king, O king, live forever. Notice there's zero animosity. No thanks to you, king. All I did was serve you. Look what you did to me. No, No thanks to you. But instead, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. So, He sent his angel. Possibly we could understand that to be a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ or probably better to understand that as an angel, a messenger that came and shut the lion's mouth. So perhaps it meant that they, their appetite left them. Perhaps they, they found Daniel distasteful. Perhaps the lions didn't even notice Daniel was there. Or perhaps there was just an iron fist that was literally closing their mouth. We don't know, but he shut their their mouths uh, because he was found blameless before you. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. So I'm in here. I'm not blaming you, king, but I didn't deserve to be in here. I've done you no harm. Verse 23, Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded... Oh, notice that. Because he had trusted in his God. That's that's the theme. That's the point. Daniel was delivered 
because he trusted in his God. He trusted wholly and completely in his God, so much so that he returns to his prayer room in peace and in thankfulness with a grateful heart, praise as he always had because he trusted wholly in his God and he found his God to be wholly trustworthy. And the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions and their children and their wives and before they reached the the bottom of the of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. So there's sort of the dark side of this whole battle between good and evil, how the families and the children were cast in there as well. It reminds us, of course, all this has parallels to the end of time, to the end of the age, at which there will be another pit and the agents of the kingdom of evil will be thrown into that pit as well. Now verse 25, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, the nations, and the languages that dwell on the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. So he makes this decree. Everybody is to tremble and fear before Daniel's God. He is not legislating morality. He's legislating worship, which you can't really do. But he legislates, nonetheless, you need to worship and fear Daniel's God, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be, there shall be no end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and, or that is to say, the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So here we have the end of the story of Daniel. And we know, again, we know the details of the story. We know how the story worked out. We know this is this illustration between good and evil. And we saw as we went through there that there's so many moral and ethical points that are so helpful to see. The consistency of prayer, the habit of prayer, the trusting wholly in God, the work ethic, all those things are helpful and beneficial for us to see. However, we started the whole book of Daniel on this note. You remember from a couple months ago? We started on this note. Daniel is not the hero. And we must be careful to not make him the hero. Because quite frankly, if we make him the hero, then we make our preaching to be dead. Because isn't preaching that is all about human examples, isn't that just dead, worthless preaching? Let me ask you honestly. Now be honest with yourself. Do you find human examples in Scripture terribly motivating or encouraging? Now there is an element of encouragement and there's certainly an important teaching element. We're told, the Scriptures tell us that those things are there for our benefit. But do you really find the faith of Abraham as he's about to offer his son Isaac for sacrifice, do you really read that story and find your faith is bolstered? Maybe some. I tend to find mine is more discouraged when I think, well, that's not my faith. I don't think I could do that. Ladies, are you, are you terribly encouraged by the Proverbs 31 wife? Do you find that uplifting to read about the Proverbs 31 wife? You see, I don't think that human examples in Scripture are encouraging, particularly motivating. They're helpful, and there is an encouraging aspect to it. But I think that human examples in Scripture are ultimately like the law. 
You know, the law is not encouraging. The law is teaching. The law teaches us and instructs us. But preaching about human examples is dead. But here's what's encouraging. What's encouraging is Jesus. And all of the scriptures are about Jesus. There is one hero in your scriptures and one hero only. And his name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There is no other hero in scripture. So now let's sort of walk through an exercise in which we see how it is that God wants us to understand not only Daniel, but all of the heroes, quote unquote, of your Old Testament and New Testament for that matter. So let's begin with Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 is not in your notes, but it's in a tremendously insightful passage of Scripture that helps us to understand the framework, or if you want to use this word, the philosophy with which we understand characters, human characters in our Scriptures. And Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 goes this way. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, meaning... All those people in Hebrews 11 that he just talked about, all the Samsons and Gideons and, and Abrahams and Moseses. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weight of sin which so easily ensnares us and look to Jesus, the author and founder of our faith. So right there is encapsulated the entire philosophy, the entire approach, the entire framework with which we understand human characters in the Bible. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, so we look to people like Daniel. Let us look to Daniel and lay aside the sin that ensnares us and look to Jesus. So in other words, as we look to Daniel, we're looking not for Daniel, we're looking for Jesus. Daniel is like a reflection. Daniel takes our gaze and redirects it to Jesus. That's what he's intended to do. It's like, you ever play pinball? Who's played pinball? On those pinball machines, the the little flapper thing that sort of takes the ball and sends it a totally different direction? That's Daniel. In fact, that's Moses, that's Abraham, that's Solomon, that's David, that's Gideon, that's everyone. They are like that flapper in the pinball machine that takes the ball of your gaze and redirects it away from them and says, no, look at Jesus. Look to Jesus. So how does that work? Well, let's look to Daniel. And as we look to Daniel, let's see how Daniel shows us Jesus. So on the last page of your notes here, I've just listed all the ways that Daniel shows us Jesus or points us to Jesus. So let's just kind of go through these. We don't have to spend much time here. But both Daniel and Jesus had a reputation of excellence. In fact, Jesus had a reputation of miraculous excellence. They both were known as a man of prayer. Scripture references are there for you. They both possessed a godly and an excellent spirit. Daniel was despised and rejected by some men. So was Jesus despised and rejected by some men. But also Daniel was respected and revered by other men. Jesus likewise was revered and worshipped by other men. Both Daniel and Jesus were both conspired against by their enemies and the conspiracy was based on completely baseless charges for both Jesus and Daniel. 
Jesus and Daniel were both tried on a fraudulent trial. Both Jesus and Daniel had their own enemies admit to their moral uprightness. Remember as they declare, well, the only way we're going to get Daniel is if we make obedience to his God illegal. Likewise, remember what they said of Jesus? Teacher, we know that you don't pay attention to the, to the words of man, that you only listen to God. Or the words of, of even Nicodemus before Nicodemus was, I believe, converted. And Nicodemus says, no one can do the things you're doing unless they're from God. So even their enemies proclaimed their moral uprightness. Darius tries to intervene and save Daniel, but he can't prevail over the evil opposition. Likewise, Pilate tries to intervene and save Jesus, but he too cannot overcome the evil opposition. Daniel makes no effort to defend himself, neither does Jesus make an effort to defend himself. Daniel was found transgressing the law of the Medes. Jesus was found transgressing the law of the Jews. Daniel was clothed in a purple robe, end of chapter 5. Jesus was also clothed in a purple robe. Daniel was thrown into a pit. Jesus was placed in a tomb. The pit Daniel was thrown into was sealed with the king's ring. The tomb Jesus was placed into was also sealed with the king's ring. Daniel trusted his life to God. Jesus likewise trusted his life to God. Daniel was found praying just prior to his arrest. Jesus was found praying just prior to his arrest. Daniel was found alive early the next morning. Jesus was found resurrected early on the third morning. Daniel was raised from the lion's den only to die later. Jesus was raised from the tomb to never die. No injury was found on Daniel. Jesus' resurrection was complete to a life everlasting. Daniel's greatest trial came at the end of his life. So did Jesus' greatest trial come at the end of his life. Daniel and Jesus both finished their race well. Daniel and Jesus both showed no animosity to their enemies. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Daniel's enemies were cast into his pit. Jesus' enemies will one day be cast into the eternal pit. Daniel provided hope for the exiles of his day. Jesus provides hope for the exiles of all days. Those are just some of the ways that Daniel is a picture of Jesus. And that is the overarching point. Is it helpful to take instruction from Daniel's prayer and Daniel's faith and Daniel's work habits? Absolutely. But ultimately, ultimately, Daniel is there for us to say, I see Jesus. I see Jesus in Him. Remember the road to Emmaus, Luke 24? Jesus is walking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus and we're told there in verse 27 that Jesus showed them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. What do you think Jesus said when He got to Daniel? You think that precious little bit of time... Imagine how precious that time on the road was for those disciples. Walking with the risen Jesus on the day of His resurrection. I don't know if it was an hour, 45 minutes, two hours, whatever. Whatever it was, it was precious. Can you imagine Jesus gets to Daniel and says, Now, here's why Daniel's in your Scriptures, so that you'll pray every day. Make sure you pray like Daniel. Make sure you have work ethic like Daniel. 
Of course not. When Jesus comes to Daniel, Jesus says to them, this is how you see me. This is why Daniel points to me. This is why Daniel, like Hebrews tells us, we have so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the sin that ensnares us and look to Jesus. That's why Daniel's in our Scriptures. That's why these episodes are there. That's why just simply preaching Daniel is just dead preaching. If we don't let Daniel take us to Jesus. And brothers and sisters, we, we got to do better. The church has to do better with that. You could go home right now and get on your computer, onto YouTube, and you could search sermons, Daniel, Lion's Den. Dozens will come up. And if you got the time, I assure you, the vast majority of them never mention Jesus' name. They say some good things, some helpful things. But you know what? Those helpful things won't last you until you finish your lunch today. But Jesus, that's not a story. That's why Daniel is here, to show us a picture of the Messiah. And that is the approach. That's, that's Jesus' approach. That's what he taught us to do. That's the, what the writer to the Hebrews taught us to do. And that is the approach that we should train ourselves to take with all human characters in the Scripture. How does he show me Jesus? How does she show me Jesus? Or how does he show me I need Jesus? Okay, so maybe like Samson. How does Samson show us Jesus? He shows us Jesus because God gave him great ability to defeat his enemies. But you know what? We look to Samson and we say, we need a champion who won't be a fool. We need a champion who won't fall like he did. So everyone in your scriptures is that way. They either show us Jesus or they show us why Jesus is superior. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Truth That Transforms with pastor and Bible teacher Jason Wilkerson. Truth That Transforms is the daily teaching broadcast of Disciples Fellowship Church. We invite you to visit our website where you will find more resources to help in your journey of discipleship. You can find us at www.disciplesfellowshipnc.com or connect with our Facebook page at Facebook slash Disciples Fellowship NC. Truth That Transforms exists to glorify Jesus Christ through the teaching of His sanctifying and disciple-making Word.